This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I'm really excited to be joined this evening by Mr. Graham Barfield of Fantasy Points. Graham, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I think this is either third or fourth year in a row. Uh, we've been privileged to have you on. Always fun to talk to you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me back. Uh, you know, it's good to good to catch up. I know last year was was pretty tough for you with the, the teaching gig and you got the young ones coming around. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're looking forward to the season and having some like, you know, kind of downtime and just getting things back to normal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this football and, and the, what we do here at Sunday has been a welcome distraction over the last year and, and plus. And it's always fun to bring on guests and, and pick their brain and listen to their takes because every year these rookie classes, I think, are more and more fascinating, more and more intriguing. And this one, you know, nonetheless as well. So, so let's dive right into it. Before we even talk about landing spots and where we kind of see these guys now, just kind of maybe give us the, you know, the 5,000 foot view on what you thought about this running back class in terms of before the draft even happened. Because to me, it seemed like it was a little top heavy and then it really, you know, it really kind of died out quickly. Did you kind of see it that way when you put them through your tests and, and, and examined them? Yeah. So, you know, with the way I do yards created, it's always like, you know, I, I get started in January, like kind of in the middle of the playoffs. I'll start, you know, getting stuff going because during the season, I just don't really have the time to, to follow. Uh, I follow college football pretty closely, but I don't really have time to like, you know, work on it and stuff. So I usually kind of come in with like a fresh mind uh, almost every year, you know, in January, February. And yeah, when I started, you know, just, I always start looking into, you know, pulling stats and just trying to learn as much as I can about the players before I chart them. Um, and yeah, off the top, man, I thought this class was, was pretty weak. And then, you know, doing the charting for it, it came out even weaker. And then we had the draft and, you know, we had four guys go on the first two days, which was just like a complete anomaly. Um, so yeah, I think by all measures, you know, Early in the process, I thought it was weak. And then especially uh, once I started doing the charting and then, you know, draft came around and I think, you know, the NFL kind of told us what they thought about the class. But, yeah, I'm with you. I think, it, you know, it's super top heavy. I mean, it's, it's you know, the big three is, is pretty clear between Harris, Williams and ETN. And, um, you know, all three of those guys, Harris and Williams, especially fell into some pretty ideal situations. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if we if we kind of stick on those big three for a second, I do feel like they're very different style players. Like, you know, when you charted them out with your yards created, they will all seem like guys who do find ways to create yards. Right. You know, Javante Williams is one of the best at, you know, breaking tackles and, and contact balance and and that Najee Harris, I think, is more athletic than people give him credit for and shows yes. some more inside outside versatility. And I think a lot of people pigeonhole him if they weren't really watching college football. And then obviously we know Travis Etienne has that, you know, that burst, that rare stop start acceleration. You know, when you put them through it, did you see that they all tested out pretty well in yards created? Was there somebody clearly above the other two based on their college production? Yeah. So Javante Williams led the class and led the big three in yards created uh, per attempt, led the class and missed tackles force per attempt. Uh, and he's a really good pass protector, too. And I always go back and forth, like whether or not pass protection matters all that much. But, you know, NFL coaches really care about it. I mean, that's an easy way for a rookie back to get on the field um, and earn trust from their quarterback uh, early in camp is, is to, you know, be a good pass protector and, you know, get your, you know, get your shoulders in the right line, you know, right line, getting the, you know, 
uh, get in the pocket of the linebacker or the blitzer or whatever. Williams is a really good, really good pass protector. Um, I, you know, I, I think I wrote this at one point, but Najee Harris has the best, some of the best feet for running back I've seen in the last like six years. Like I always thought Nick Chubb um, just was his feet and his eyes were always in lockstep. And I saw the same thing with Najee Harris and it really showed up when he was catching passes of all things. He actually uh, bested Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey for the best figure in this tackles force per reception uh, in the six years I've been doing this. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see Harris play in like an every down role. You know, Big Ben's aging, going to have to check down a lot more because he just doesn't really have the arm the arm talent and the juice to push the ball downfield like he once did. Um, so I think I think Harris and Etienne or Harris and, uh, and Williams were a clear one, two for me. And I actually have Etienne at three. Um, I, I just I struggled with Etienne as an inside runner. He posted like I think it was like the 17th, 16th percentile in yards created per attempt on inside carries. Obviously, he's a great electric receiver and great in open space. And, and you know, his, his speed is home. You know, uh, his speed is his calling card. And my concern is that James Robinson isn't going to go away. I mean, James Robinson was one of the best inside runners in the NFL last year. Uh, I, th- I firmly believe they want this to be like a one-two punch. Now, whether or not ETN gets, you know, 60 or 70 targets uh, remains to be seen. But, uh, you know, I, I think ETN for now is is a, a distant three between Williams and Harris just because – Williams is a fantastic prospect. All three are great prospects, but I just think ETN's spot is a lot more murky than than Harrison Williams. Yeah, I mean, and the thing with Ethan is, I mean, it's it's public knowledge and public information out there that, you know, basically Urban Meyer came out and said they right. wanted Kadarius Tony, yeah. And it's like the the pivot to Travis Ethan, it, it was a strange one because they could have, they had that early second round pick. Mm-hmm. They could have easily took in the, the higher cornerback on their board, who they took early in the second round, and then maybe taking a guy like Rondell Moore early second round, which I would have seen the comp from Kadarius Tony to Rondell Moore in terms of how you want to use him, how they want to play. So now it kind of feels like, are they going to try to fit Ethan into a role that we've never seen? And who's to say he can't do whatever this role they're thinking about, but it's not the role that Right now, what Urban Meyer is saying is not the role that we've seen Travis Etienne play at Clemson. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of see, is it just coach speak? Are they going to try to make him do something and be a different style player to complement James Robinson, but also just be used as like this receiver or this you know offensive weapon, which is different than, you know, he was a pretty much a traditional running back at Clemson. Obviously, he right. showed some improvement over his time there in terms of the passing game to be a guy who I think is functional in terms of catching the ball only, but then obviously explosive after the catch. So it's going to be really interesting. So in Dynasty and Redraft, are you looking at it the same way that for you it's Harris, Javante Williams, Travis Etienne in terms of what you think for immediate production and long-term? Yeah, that's that's the way I have it. And, you know, the thing real quick on Etienne is like, yeah, I mean, he was really efficient as a receiver because he's so explosive. But Clemson didn't use him in like an Alvin Kamara, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Christian McCaffrey type of role where he was running, you know, option routes, you know, uh, matching up against linebackers or safeties in the slot. Like he was basically running screens and check and releases. 74% of his catches came on screens, flats, or check and releases and a check and releases. Like, you know, whenever, uh, you know, you're just basically checking to see if there's a blitz or, or a free rusher coming through and then you're just releasing in the flat. So ETN was not running 
by any means a diverse route tree, but when the ball was in his hands, he was obviously great. So it's always that catch 22. And it's why it kind of didn't surprise me that the Jags are like immediately, you know, rookie OTAs, they're immediately putting ETN uh, to work as a receiver because they want to get, you know, him more developed there. So I think there's going to be a, a little bit more of a learning curve for him as a receiver than, than some might. And then you mix in the fact that Robinson is is going to play a bunch as well, you know, taking those early down carries. It's it's definitely hard to kind of parse out what ETN's role is going to be. And you make a great point with Tony. I mean, I think that also hurts LaVisca Chanel because they kind of play the same role. They're like slot guys who who went after the catch. And, um, you know, I, I just I, I'm I've had there's a lot of questions with the Jags offense right now. Yeah, and then their best receiver, you know, theoretically, DJ Chark, the coach publicly comes out and and basically yeah. rips into him, which was a really bizarre, kind of weird, you know, first introduction to being an NFL head coach. You don't usually see coaches, especially new coaches, you know, coming from the college ranks, be so vocal and public about maybe a issue that they may have with, you know, a player and how they play around the field. So really weird. Uh, in terms of redraft value, how high – are you willing to feel comfortable with, you know, Najee Harris with the concerns about Big Ben and the aging, mm-hmm. the offensive line, major question marks, but but knowing full well that that role is, is pristine and there's probably not a lot of roles in the NFL in terms of running backs who are better. And then also the Javante Williams side of it, Melvin Gordon is there. He's still a He's still functional to to solid NFL running back. He's he's been kind of MIA from from their offseason stuff. Is it something that you, you take Javante Williams ahead of him and you just kind of wait it out to to expect him to take the lead sooner rather than later? Yeah, the thing with with Williams is I just don't know how much the Broncos are like willing to give Melvin Gordon the ball anymore, man. Like, um, you know, last year he showed up to camp after getting paid. I mean, they paid him twelve million dollars guaranteed. Uh, over a two-year deal. So basically his full deal was fully guaranteed. He showed up at camp out of shape. Um, and then, you know, him and uh, Philip Lindsay kind of split the, you know, split most of the snaps until Lindsay got hurt. Um, There's some off the field stuff that Gordon, you know, got out of, but man, like, you know, this team traded up to get Javante Williams. Melvin Gordon's in the final year of his deal. I don't think they're going to cut him just because it'd be kind of a waste of money from their perspective and they need a number two. Uh, but yeah, I think I think we're going to be looking at Javante Williams being the one A pretty quickly, um, and then on Harris, you know, yeah, you know it. I mean, it's like you know, Big Ben and the offensive line are the huge red flags. Like, how good is this offense going to be? On the flip side, he's going to play nearly every single snap. He's going to play on almost all of the you know passing down and third down situation stuff. Um, the only situation he might not be on the field is like hurry up. They might play like McFarland or whatever, you know. Benny Snell will get his three to four carries every game. But yeah, I mean, the role is going to be really sweet. It's just, you know, everybody knows it. So his ADP is, you know, mid second round right now in redraft and best ball leagues. And there's a lot of receivers in that range, like Calvin Ridley, even Devontae Adams has fallen to that range. I mean, it's, it's a really competitive range of, of picks. I was kind of hoping Harris would, you know, be more of like a back end of the second round pick just because I thought the receiver tier was really strong between Ridley and Hopkins and now Adams. Um, but yeah, I haven't really been drafting Harris all that much, unfortunately, just because, I mean, you know, he's, he's appropriately priced in the sense that his, you know, for his ceiling, but, um, it's just kind of one of those things where it comes down to team build. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting and I don't have my pulse right now on ADP at all is, is Najee and you might 
probably noticed. Is Najee going ahead of guys like Joe Mixon and Austin Eck- and Eckler, or is he or is he bef- behind them? Clearly, yeah, he's. It's like he's really close with Mixon. Uh, Eckler okay. is more of like a. Eckler's right. actually been been coming on the turn. Yeah, Eckler's more of a turn pick right now. Mixon is Mixon's coming up too. Uh, but yeah, Harris is going like around the board, like with Gibson and uh, and J.K. Dobbins and Edwards, Alaire and Swift. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, I haven't I haven't dug into uh, best ball world yet. That's for this year, for, and it, it's coming soon. But uh, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to kind of see where those guys are going. Uh, let's take this to where most people think is the next rookie post draft, and that's Trey Sermon, who I think is a very polarizing rookie. You know. I've seen him and I've seen publications have him saying he should be a round one rookie pick. If, if, you know, people had their rookie drafts already, many people did. Some still kind of have him sprinkled in throughout the summer, but a lot of, some people are really high on Trey Sermon. Some people are a little bit more reserved, more early to mid second round. You know, where do you kind of feel like, you know, Trey Sermon should be appropriately valued. And what do you think about Trey Sermon, the player? Because some of his college film is outstanding, Others leaves you wanting more. I liked mm-hmm. him when he, you know, I liked him when, you know, he was at Oklahoma and I thought there was a big discrepancy between him and like Kennedy Brooks, where some people thought they were equal. Then he goes to Ohio State. I'm excited about it, but then he gets kind of pushed behind Master Teague for a while. So what did you make of that up and down weird collegiate production? Yeah. And then now the great landing spot potentially in San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he he's he is an enigma in the sense that like well, let's start. I mean, for yards created, he was second in this class behind Javante Williams. Um, and he was actually the best interior runner in this class. Uh, again, over Williams. And then Harris was third for yards created per attempt on inside carries. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, like he just had some monster games in the playoffs last year. You know, that game against Northwestern where he went for like 330 and a couple scores was legitimately one of the best games I've charted in the last like couple years. But yeah, I mean, it's just such a small sample. I mean, Ohio State season got you know, you know, kind of cut short because of COVID last year. Um, but I, I liked Trey Sermon, the player, quite a bit. I mean, the the highs were high enough to where I think he had the talent to kind of eke into the big three. It's just we didn't really see it enough, you know, especially with the transfer, especially with Ohio State's season being cut short. Um, and, you know, now we mix in the landing spot. I mean, he literally studied – he said he literally studied Kyle Shanahan's 49ers run game – because there was so many, so much carryover between uh, the 49ers run game and the Buckeyes run game when he was transferring in 2019 or 2020. Uh, and it's just ironic now that he ends up on the 49ers because that's the team he was studying to get ready to play for Ohio State. So I think it's a perfect fit. It just comes down for fantasy, man. It's the same same question we talk about with 49ers backs every year. It's like, is Shanahan going to commit to one? And I still think Raheem Mostert is is the the clear one A there, and um, I think you know the hype on Sermon is, has gotten a bit out of hand. I, I wouldn't take him uh, over Devon. You know, I play in mainly Superflex rookie dynasty league, so you know Devon uh, Devonta Smith and Jalen Water are usually like the back half of the first round guys. Uh, I actually have a bunch of them this year, and I'm, I haven't even considered. Sermon over those guys and Sermon's going like the eighth, ninth round of best ball leagues, which I think is also kind of crazy because you're drafting him not only over Mostert, but you're drafting him over, you know, Michael Gallup and a lot of really fun kind of wide receiver four and five types as well. So yeah, um, love Sermon. The player just kind of hate, hate where the price is shaking out right now. I could definitely see myself buying low on him uh, like mid season and dynasty or maybe after this year. 
Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that we all know that if he gets the opportunity there, he's probably going to be successful, right? We've seen right. plenty of less talented running backs be successful in that Kyle Shanahan scheme, but we also have seen Kyle Shanahan kind of just, you know, play those games where he, this guy's one week and then another guy, is he going to be willing to commit? Like, I mean, we've even seen Raheem Mostert kind of go up and down who has, you know, been productive when when given an opportunity but you know we'll see if sermon is finally kind of breaks that that trend of not knowing what to expect out of that 49ers backfield and that somebody actually you know gain hold of the job for the most part or at least of the lead committee of a job and if so then the people who are kind of pushing them up boards are going to are going to you know, look like geniuses because he's probably going to, you know, live up to that price tag. But I think it's a, it's a tough question to ask now. And if you're playing the odds, I think it's hard to say that that's what's going to happen. So I'm right there with you. I've been, I like the player. I like the landing spot, but I don't like where his price tag has been, especially in rookie drafts right now for where I feel comfortable passing on first round or early second round, you know, wide receivers who I, who I think are very talented for a guy who was taking late round three and we've seen running backs, go into that scheme and system and we know they can be productive, but at the same time, everyone kind of gets their fair shot there. And then and he right. plays who, you know, he plays who he, you know, wants to play that week or who he thinks fits that, you know, game plan the best. And I think that's the, the wild card there. So let's take this to the next guy, because I think this guy is a guy that the draft Twitter and the Debbie Twitter community is having a hard time giving up their pre-draft takes with. And that's Michael Carter out of UNC who, Myself included, and I think many people thought he was probably going to go on day two, whether whether he went late round two or or somewhere in round three. I think most people thought he was going to go there, and I liked the player a lot. Like I thought he had, you know, some part Clyde Edwards Hilaire, part Brian Westbrook, part Devin Singletary, a little bit of each of those guys, not like better than any of those guys, maybe better than Singletary coming out as a prospect, you know, not better than the other two, but parts of those other guys that I, that I thought were intriguing in terms of his pass catching ability, being a little bit more tougher and physical for a smaller guy than, than you might think. And then he goes to the Jets and the, obviously the Jets depth chart wide open but it's fourth round. Like we've seen a lot of guys go, you know, I just had Mike Clay on recently and he ran down the list of, you know, day running backs over the X, less X amount of years. And it's not a pretty list in terms yeah. of long-term viability. It, it really isn't. So, you know, I think people are pushing him up the boards in rookie drafts and getting excited about him because of the depth chart. And, and I get it. I, I'm intrigued with the depth chart as well, but I think we got to be a little bit careful considering it was round four, the NFL kind of didn't have the same take as draft Twitter and Debbie Twitter on this player. Where, where do you make out with him? What did you think about him when you put him through your metric? And then now the landing spot, which we obviously all are excited about the opportunity that lies, but is it a little bit, a little bit misleading in terms of maybe the, the long-term ramifications, you know, could be something like, listen, we saw how good James Robinson was last year, but that didn't stop the Jaguars, right? And and I don't think anyone's going to expect Michael Carter to have that kind of year. Yeah. Well, you know, Carter for me was, was is also a tough kind of evaluation because just off the cuff, I mean, it was night and day to me between Javante Williams and, and Carter. Uh, Williams posted the fifth best figure in missed tackles force per attempt uh, in my database, Carter was fifth worst, and that's out of like 65 running backs now. Um, I think Carter has great patience, um, I, but he's undersized, doesn't force missed tackles as, as often as you want. 
I immediately thought he'd be like at best, like a, a one a type of back where he's like on that chase Edlins, Gio Bernard type of spectrum of talent. Um, and, you know, now he's in a backfield where sure the you know, the jets don't have a ton of talent behind it, but I still think, you know, they're going to, they're going to try to rotate in uh, their guys. So I, I struggle with Carter and I think he's another guy that's kind of been boosted up too much. Um, you know, just based on the hype. I mean, he's going in the eighth round of best ball leagues, which is crazy to me. Uh, he's going, you know, back half, early second round of dynasty, depending on if it's super flex or not. Um, and, you know, you mentioned it, that the draft capital is, is bad. I mean, actually, I, I looked into this before the draft um, and I went back looking into data going back to 2000. And there have actually been a higher percentage of UDFA running backs finishing as an RB1 than fourth round picks. It's like 7% versus 6%. But still, that kind of just shows you that the hit rate for these guys that go in the fourth round, like Clay uh, alluded to, is super, super low. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just, again, I, I wasn't enamored with the player. Um, good pass catcher, fine pass catcher, good natural hands. But I just, I just really struggle with, you know, how talented he actually is, the role. And then, you know, you mix in this Jets offense that probably is a couple years away from being, from being really good. Yeah, and, it, and this is a conversation I had on the previous podcast with Michael Clay, too. It does really show you, though, how much pre-draft bias on players carries over to their fantasy value. Because last year, Michael Pirine was taken in the exact same round for the Jets that Michael Carter was. Yeah. And the, the depth chart was still pretty much wide open, you know, as it was this year, as it was last year. Yet the difference was the Debbie and Draft Twitter community didn't really like Michael yep. Pirine. And they loved Michael Carter for most of this year. And, and that's all it takes for people to kind of hold on to that pre-draft. You know, listen, we are not privy to the inside information that NFL teams get, the video and the, the you know, the game film that the NFL gets, talking to coaches, et cetera, et cetera. But I think sometimes the fantasy community really holds on to takes and they don't let things like draft capital and what the NFL tells you matter in terms of it. Nobody was drafting the Michael Piron in the eighth or ninth round of best ball drafts last year. Nobody was taking the Michael Piron in the back half of, of round one or the early part of round two. But they are for Michael Carter. Like, I know, you know, I've been pushing back on the Kadarius Tony hate most of, you know, the months since the draft. And like, I see rookie drafts where Michael Carter's going ahead of Kadarius Tony or Elijah Moore. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I just don't think it could work out. Sure, it could be an outlier, but that process to me just isn't a good process. Like it could work out, but I don't envision that working out more times than not taking a round four running back over, you know, a round one wide receiver yeah. or early round two wide receiver. Man, I'm with you on Tony too. Like I was not, I have messages to back this up too. I was not in on Tony before the draft. Um, but now, I mean, he's a first round wide receiver at, that's going. 15th 16th 17th round in best ball leagues he's a mid-second round pick in dynasty leagues like say what you want about the player you kind of have to throw that away when the price is so good and the nfl told you how they feel about him we know at least two teams had a first round grade at least a late first round grade mid to late first round grade on tony and that's the giants and the jacks so we kind of have to throw away our preconceived notions when the price is so good on a player like tony uh, who has a, you know, he's great after the catch. He's an electric playmaker and maybe they'll get him in the right role. But yeah, I, I, I'm definitely, definitely with you on Tony. This rookie class, man, to me is, is an odd one, like a really, really odd one because 
at each position, you know, we have like a clear one and two uh, between, you know, Lawrence and Fields and, and Lance. And then we have Harris and Williams and ETN. And we have Chase at wide receiver and then Pitts at tight end. And then after that, it, it, it honestly, there, there's like so many landmines that could, you could potentially throw up here. Yeah, it, it, it's really, it's, it's, I don't remember it being such a top heavy. Yeah. You know, it's as top heavy as I've seen in terms of then how quickly it falls off. It starts to fall off early to mid second round, depending on type of league. And then it falls off again, mid third round. And it's yep. just like, you're scratching at like, okay, where do I go with the pick? And, and that's what makes the Kadarius Tony dislike so crazy that it is such an up and down year. It's such a hard year to predict. And then we're not under any circumstances letting his draft capital dictate his value at all. And, it's really not that hard to rewind 365 days ago. And a lot of the draft and Debbie Twitter community didn't like Brandon Ayuk because he broke out late because he was a transfer. He had to wait his turn at Arizona state. And there's not a, in terms of how they won on the collegiate field, Brandon Ayuk and Kadarius Tony won very similarly, a lot of after the catch. And we saw Brandon Ayuk year one immediately, you know, pay off dividends in terms of, you know, for the longest time, people kept thinking that talk of where Brandon Ayuk was going to go was over the top because it started early with Daniel Jeremiah having him in round one and no one believed it was going to happen. and He was going to go that high. And same thing with Kadarius Tony. Most mock drafts had him in the first round right after the senior bowl. And then some maybe at the end, maybe had him falling out and, and maybe somebody else would sneak in. But I think too many people are, are hurting on Kadarius Tony because a the met, the college metrics didn't you know really jump off the page because he broke out late and they're they're putting way too much emphasis on disliking Dave Gettleman disliking Jason Garrett and the scheme those things are temporary and I think people are acting like Jason Garrett's locked in to be this guy's offensive coordinator for like the next five to seven years I think it could be I think it could be half a year if it does if things go south for the Giants to start this year so it, really interesting there. Graham, final question of the night. There's not a lot of other running backs to really dig into, but if I just open the floor to any of the other rookies, any of them, based on your metric, pique your interest throughout you know, the pre-draft season or now post-draft, obviously the name that was getting the most attention pre-draft was Kenneth Gainwell. He falls yeah. all the way to round five. Was it him or anybody else pique your interest a little bit, whether it was pre-draft, what you what you did, or now at their landing spots? Yeah, you can check this data out on the on the site. Um, but I'm I'm kind of out on Gainwell and uh, and Hubbard. Um, I think Stevenson is kind of that guy right now. It'll be interesting to see what the Patriots do uh, with Sony Michelle. Uh, Mike Reese back in May said that Stevenson is a legit threat to Michelle's spot on their final 53 because Stevenson can play special teams and Michelle obviously can't. So I actually think there's a chance we might see Harris, like a backfield of, of Harris Stevenson and then white. Um, I think Stevenson's probably that guy right now. He's also like, I don't know. I don't want to say the cheapest. They kind of all go off the board in like that third round of rookie drafts. But Stevenson's interesting. I've taken Gainwell in a few spots just because, you know, he can, you know, he's a great receiver and he could potentially, uh, you know, be, you know, maybe a 15% target share guy, kind of like Naheem Hines. But yeah, it's, it's really Gainwell and Stevenson. And I think Hubbard is pretty obvious. I mean, unless McCaffrey gets hurt, then, you know, he's not going to be on our radar for fantasy. Yeah, I, I'm 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 pretty much out on, on Harvard myself. Stevenson, I think you you make a good point there that it really depends on, you know, what they do with Sony Michelle in terms of how quickly he gets on. And then Gainwell, yeah, 
we know Nick Sirianni coming from the Colts wants to use a multiple of backs. Does he find a way to get into that role of like a Naheem Hines where he's really just a space player, pass catcher? I think he would be the one that maybe down the line could have some PPR value if we're talking in terms of fantasy. He might be a guy that makes a couple plays here or there in terms of real life that is impactful but might not translate to any type of consistent fantasy production but yeah all in all i mean the years we've had you on we've had always more running backs i feel oh, like than, than, than than what we had and this would have, this wouldn't have been that much of a different conversation if we met pre-draft because you know maybe we thought michael carter i i thought michael carter was going to go somewhere around three but besides that that was kind of the and maybe we thought gainwell could as a central you know as a specific pass catching role maybe a team would 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 take him in the third round but really there's not much different whether we had this pre-draft or post-draft it's kind of it's kind of the same it was a lackluster year uh people tried to push up guys like Khalil herbert and larry roundtree it's somewhere during the pre-draft months but it really never you know warranted too much attention there so graham thank you so much uh, for hopping on with me here uh, for 30 minutes or so. I greatly appreciate it. I know you're very busy on the, you know, getting ready here in the summer for uh, fantasy football and the summer months, really, when things get in the high gear. Please make sure uh, you let my audience know where to follow you if they're not already. And if there's anything you want to share about fantasy points, uh, you know, it's something that, you know, uh, when Joe Dolan was on a couple episodes ago, uh, you know, I vouch for how, how much I, I love the site and everything you guys do there. And as I've gotten more busy in my life and as my family grows, uh, I try to rely on, on two or three sites uh, year in and year out to kind of keep me up to date on everything that I can uh, keep up with. And, you know, I said you guys were one of them. So I'm a big fan of all the work you're doing there. If there's anything that maybe, you know, Joe had missed that's new and you want to share to my audience, please do. Yeah, I'm sure Joe, I'm sure Joe nailed it. Um, Yeah. I'm just at Graham Barfield on, on Twitter, Uh, fantasypoints.com. We got a bunch of uh, fun stuff coming out. I'm sure Joe plugged the franchise focus series. We got coming out next week. Uh, We're going to release a team a day. Uh, Him, Tom Brawley and myself are going to start doing some podcasts, kind of uh, to, to uh, you know, kind of mix up with the, the franchise focus series. So that'll be fun. And I have a bunch of best ball content coming out in July. Uh, kind of crazy. I can't believe it's July 1st already. I feel like June like was a week and <laughs> that was it. But uh, yeah, man, this was a lot of fun. Um, I think this was like our fourth year running it back. So can't wait for, for next year and hopefully a better rookie class because I think next year's class is going to be sick. I've already started looking into it a little bit, but uh, I think next year's class is going to be better. Yeah, I, I think right now on paper definitely looks like uh, it, more depth for sure. Yes. Maybe not Maybe yes. not. You know, anyone of Najee Harris's level, potentially not, uh, but I think definitely more guys that I think could be at least intriguing uh, from our perspective in terms of what we're looking for out of them. So guys, again, make sure you're following Graham. Make sure you're checking out everything over there at Fantasy Points, top-notch stuff. So On behalf of Graham, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And I look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.